Hello, all you wonderful listeners. This is Julie Baumgartner, and welcome to another episode of Rise Up, where we talk with specialists in their field of expertise. This podcast will be both interesting and educational. Our guest is a lifetime gun owner, has assisted people with handgun training since 2007. He had a former handgun concealed carry evaluation service and is both a self-defense and Second Amendment advocate. Today, we welcome Mark Rogers. Good Thank to you. have you here. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, <clears throat> every time I see you on social media, you're either on the gun range or you're reviewing a handgun or you're speaking of your passion for this in some capacity. And I pulled these quotes, and I'm going to quote this from Pew Research Center, 2017. Three in ten Americans say they currently own a gun. Four in ten adults, 42%, say that there is a gun in their household. And I asked you here today to talk about responsible gun culture. So knowing those statistics, what does responsible gun culture mean, and what is it? Well, we, we've always had the, the, even people that are not familiar with firearms, all, most of them know the basic safety rules. Treat every gun as though it's loaded, keep your finger off the trigger, and never point your gun at anything that you don't intend to destroy. Uh, responsible gun culture is simply handling guns and regarding guns as what they are, which and, and there's, there's a lot, I, I, I'm going to try not to chase a rabbit here, but the reality is guns are, what guns are intended to do is destroy things and kill things. That's what they're that's what they're built for. That's not an apology for guns. That's what they actually are. And if guns were not what they are, there would be no Second Amendment. There's been a lot of of comparisons of guns with butter knives and swimming pools and cars. You know, if, if we if we have so many people killed every year in cars, why don't we ban cars? And I'll probably lose some friends for this, but that's a silly comparison because cars are made for something else. Knives are made for something else. Swimming pools are made for something else. Even though you can drown in one, it's made to swim in. Guns are made for one purpose, and that's to destroy things and kill things. That's what they're for. So handling them with that understanding and with the responsibility of knowing that when one is in your hand or in your possession, the safety rules that we all understand are critical to exhibit and perform before anything else. That leaves us in the place where we can then go on to discuss how we use guns, the gun culture in America, what they're for, self-defense, and everything else. But first of all, regarding them as what they actually are, and then applying the safety rules that we know to them, that's what overall, that's a broad question, but that's a, that's a, that's a broad answer also, is really regarding them as what they are and applying the safety rules that we know to them and doing it 100% of the time. I always heard the slogan, guns don't kill, people do. Yeah. <clears throat> so what's your take on that? Well, that's, that's, I mean, if you lay a gun down right here and don't touch it, it'll never kill anybody. If somebody picks it up and points it at somebody and pulls the trigger, they will kill somebody. <laughs> so it is, a, un, unfortunately, it has become what so many other things become. It's a true statement, but it's also become a cliche. Mm -hmm. It's one that's overused. We, instead of actually answering a question many times or writing what we know at some length about something, particularly on social media, that statement will be thrown out. Guns, kill, don't, guns don't kill people. People kill people. It's a cliche, and it's a too easy answer for things that have to do with guns too often. That's, 
pretty much all I can say about it right now. It's a true statement, but it's one that's overused. So first, if you're comfortable, let's talk about the laws of owning a gun, having a gun licensed. <clears throat> let's first talk about the difference between federal regulation and then regulated on a state level. What is the difference there? Um, federal regulations, federal regulations may, well, federal regulation will cover the whole country. The examples of that were some of the most notorious ones were during the Clinton administration when they had assault weapon bans, ban magazines, a wide sweeping bans that covered the entire country. In other words, it wasn't some, it wasn't just a state like California or Massachusetts or New York. It was the entire country that could not do this stuff. We, I, I remember that I wasn't, I wasn't a real advocate or I wasn't, excuse me, I wasn't a real, I wasn't a real, uh, I wasn't really heavily into guns at that time. I had, I've always owned a gun, but I was not a real avid shooter at that time. But I remember the turmoil that was taking place across America. There, of course, there were a lot of people that already owned 20 and 30 round magazines and, and so forth. But when they banned them, that meant no more of them could be produced and no more of them could be sold. And that went on for years until it expired under the Bush administration, I believe. And then it never was reinstated. So federal regulations are cover the entire country and they're they're broad and they're sweeping state regulations are just what every you know what any state wants to apply to gun ownership and the rules thereby are you, that's that state has to go by the, the people in that state have to go by those rules irrespective of anything being initiated at the federal level so um, they can't a state cannot over turn what federal government has no. deemed okay. no I'm sorry I don't, I don't I'm, I'm trying to keep my language clear here because okay. I, I under I know what <laughs> I understand this stuff because I'm talking about it all the time I, I don't mean that they can overturn it but if there is no federal restriction on a particular handgun a state can apply one if if there's no federal restriction on magazines in general a state can apply one. So states have the ability to apply all kinds of sweeping regulations within that state to handguns, magazines, ammunition, all the things that we use in firearms, uh, sport, hunting, whatever it is. If I wanted to go purchase a gun, and let's say I went to my sporting goods store, can I just go, can I walk in and buy a gun? You can walk in and buy a gun after you fill out a background check. Okay. You would fill out a NICS background check. That is a federal form. Is that our, for handguns or? It would be for a handgun or a rifle, anything, rifle, any kind anything. of firearm, shotgun, anything. You okay. would fill out a background check, that okay. NICS, N-I-C-S, background check. You go through it and there's a, you fill out, the NICS form basically has your personal information on it, where you were born, are you a U.S. citizen, and then a bunch of questions asking you if you're a criminal and here illegally, drug addict, whatever, you know, and down at the bottom of it, just a conclusive statement down there, you turn it over and you sign it. It's not a complicated form. And then that form, the information on that form is submitted to NICS immediately through the, the FFL dealer that you're dealing with. There are, some, there are a lot that still call them in. Others have computer systems that they can type all your information in, hit the button, and it'll immediately give them the, the okay. You can get a, an immediate okay on it, or there can be a delay, or there can be a denial. And all three of them have different implications. Okay means you can take the gun, pay for it, and walk out with it. Well, who would get a denial? Somebody who had a felony on record 
is under some indictment for some kind of domestic abuse. There are, there are checks and balances within people's mental diagnosis. If, if anybody has been adjudicated mentally, I forget how the wording that's actually used, if they've been adjudicated mentally ill somehow, it's not ill, it's another word they use, but if there's been somebody who has been committed by a court to a mental institution or to a hospital because of a mental issue, that could stop it also. So all of those are in the mix there. How old do you have to be to own a gun? And Does that vary by state? It, it varies by state. Some of them have put, uh, it, to, to, own a, to own a handgun, say in Arkansas, to own a handgun, not to own a handgun, but to buy a handgun, you have to be 21. You can buy a long gun, a, a rifle or a shotgun at, at 18. And in different states have uh, different regulations on that. I'm not sure on, on as far as federally, I think, federally, I don't think the, I think the register, I think a handgun, you have to be, and I may be wrong about this, but I believe you have to be 21 as far as buying a handgun federally. And that carries over into all the states because it's already a federal law. But some states have, have changed the 18-year-old purchase of a rifle or a shotgun to 21 now because of all the controversy that you've seen. So... Well, speaking of controversy, okay, so they do a background check. What is the contention right now? They want more in-depth background checks or? You're talking about as far as, as people that are protesting guns in general mm-hmm. want more? Yes. There, there are all kinds of, of proposals for background checks, one of them being background checks for any gun that's sold right now and states set this right now, but in Arkansas here, we can, I can walk in here and I can sell you a gun without any paperwork being done. I can privately sell you a handgun. You can buy, you can buy a gun from somebody out here in the parking lot. <laughs> You'd walk up to their car, they can sell you a gun, and, and, it, and it's legal. That's not the case in every state, but in, in Arkansas and many other states right now, particularly where, where, our, where the concealed carry laws are shall carry, they allow it all over the state, and where the handgun, the, the gun laws are favorable to people who are gun owners, that, that kind of transaction can take place between individuals. You can trade. That's one that's being hit hard from people who are, who are protesting guns for more gun control is for, that everybody should get a background check. And if I decide to go sell a friend a gun, I've got to do a background check on that friend. They want to go that far with it. They want, gun, they want, gun, they want uh, background checks at gun shows. The notorious, what you hear, the gun show loophole is no loophole at all. The, the, in, in Ar- again, in Arkansas here, you go to a gun show, if there's a dealer selling guns there, you have to do a background check with that dealer. But if I'm a private seller there and I've bought a table or I've rented a table there and I've got my private firearms laid out there, I can sell a gun to anybody I want to and there's no background check. But it's the same as any other sale that I could do in Arkansas just selling a gun. But that doesn't seem responsible to me. Which one, which one does it seem that responsible to you? you? That you could sell someone a gun and not know the, any history about them whatsoever. So I'm saying that's not responsible, but how could you make that responsible? Putting a, what, what one of the biggest concerns about instituting a background check on every firearm, it would it would go so far generally as to keep a father from giving his his son a handgun, selling it or not. The 
the implications of it and the reason it's protested so heavily among gun owners is because we know how far people who are against guns in general will go. In other words, it won't stop here. It will go here and here and here. Oh, no, that doesn't mean you can... You have to get a background check to sell it to this person that's come to you that you don't know. you got to get their driver's license to get the background check. Wait a minute, you can't give it to your son either. You can't hand one to your daughter. You can't give one for a birthday present. You can't pass it on to somebody else that, that you know, that you know okay. well. So that's what the, pro, that, that's what the resistance is, is and, and on both sides of the issue, gun owners and gun protesters, for lack of a better word, is that there's never any middle ground. Over here, it's these gun owners are going too far no matter what they do. Over here, it's if you give them a little bit, they're going to take everything. That's where the conflict comes in. Okay. And I don't see any end to that, as a matter of fact. I've been watching this for a long time, and I don't see any end to it. So, it's a matter of trust, and it's, it's never going to be there. Yeah. So if you're a dealer, you cannot sell a gun to a person without a background check. But if you're an, an FFL dealer, you have to have a background check yeah, on everything you sell. But an individual... As of now, can pass or, or pass one down to whoever they want to, or also legally sell one at a gun show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And of course, people can do. You know, I've 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 actually written an article on private gun sales when you can do it like you can in Arkansas. I've talked to other people, and they ask me, "Well, how do I do this without getting it?" There, there is a there is a liability on the part of somebody that sells a gun. And I'll just tell you this and. Just be candid here. The week the gun show was here three weeks ago, I sold three. I sold five guns out of my garage in my house. I put them in the paper, advertised them in the paper. Some people came to my house. They looked at them. I talked to them. I gave them full disclosure on the guns, and I found out who they were before they did it. I checked their driver's licenses. I find out who they are before they buy it. That's a responsible thing to do if you're going to sell a gun, and you can do it the way you can in Arkansas. And with both people, I found out who they are, their state. I got their driver's license. I got their picture ID. I asked them the question, have you ever been convicted of a felon? That right there lets me know that these people are not afraid to show me their stuff. I've done that a few times over the years selling guns because I've had a lot because I review them and I'll sell them after I review them and get some others. That I've, I've, I always have something on hand if, if, if somebody comes into my home and they're looking at a gun and I'm a little troubled by them, I'll say, well, I need you to fill out this form. I'll have a bill of sale. I need their signature on and, and I've had them back out and just leave because of that. So it is responsible of somebody that lives in a state like Arkansas, and again, many other, I'm zeroing in on Arkansas because it's what I know and what I live in, Mm -hmm. but lots of states all over the United States can do the same thing. It is responsible to find out who it is you're selling it to. Generally, you're selling it to responsible people that are not going to hurt anybody, not going to do anything with it that they're not supposed to. But it doesn't hurt to just do a basic check because hardly anybody will, will bother, will be bothered by just handing you their driver's license and letting you look, and they won't object to the questions. With all the precautions and all the guidelines in place, who should not own a gun? <laughs> well, obviously, uh, convicted felons, we've always known that. That's, that's something that nobody disagrees with. Uh, convicted felons, violent offenders, people that, who have exhibited dangerous mental health traits. And then there are people, you know, we don't, obviously, we, don't, we can't know everybody that shouldn't own a gun because they are all around us all day. They look like just like you and I. We, they talk like us, and they could be somebody that will take a gun and go open fire in a school somewhere and cut loose with it. 
we, we can identify the people, and that's what the background check is for, is to identify the people that, that we know should not have guns. Felons, people that are, have been violent, people that are adjudicated mentally ill, all of those things are exhibited and they should not own guns. Other than that, it's, it's, I, I can tell you, I mean, I have a, a, just like everybody else, I have a circle of acquaintances around me, not necessarily friends, but acquaintances. And I can point to people in those acquaintances that I do not believe should own a gun. And why? Because of their general responsibility in other areas of their life, bizarre behavior, things that I would say they really shouldn't have a gun. But it doesn't necessarily mean I could stop them from getting one because they would be legal to go in and get one. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some of these things that just come to a dead end because there's no place to go with them. Do you think it's easy or difficult to purchase a gun? Here, it's easy. It's just just exactly what I told you a while ago. You go into a major retailer and buy one. They often now have a tablet. Instead of a form you have to fill out, you fill out the form on a tablet. You just go through that tablet, tip, tip, and you hit it, and it's submitted. You can be in and out of a store in 20 minutes and have a handgun. So it's easy to buy one. And in states like this, buying them from individuals makes it even easier. You walk in and say, hey, I like that, hand them the money, and you leave with it. So it's very easy to buy a gun. In other states, in, in, there's that. And then you go to the other end of it, and you've got states where nobody can sell legally sell a handgun to somebody else. Nobody can sell any gun to anybody else. They have to have some kind of form. They have to have permission. They have to have a license to even own the gun in their home. That's an extreme that we all want to stay away from, those of us that own guns, though not those that are against them in general. So you've got this people on both ends of this. You've got people a little closer into the center where we all know we have to work with people of all types and have to be aware of what's going on around us and with the people that may want to buy one that shouldn't have one. And then there's middle America out here that doesn't think anything about it all day long. They don't want to think about it and they don't think about it unless they're forced to by what comes up in the news. So that's about the best I can tell you there. Well, is there any harm? Okay, let's say you wanted to pass a gun down to someone in your family. Is there any harm in there being some sort of paperwork, some oversight as to at least showing now? Because you had that gun, so you would you would be on file as, as owning that gun. Is there any harm in some paper trail as to the next person who would own that gun? Well, when you say I'm on the file as owning that gun, the only place I'm on file as owning that gun is with the retailer that I bought it from. Okay. It's not registered because Arkansas doesn't have any any registration, so there's no that there's no registration of that gun. And it, once that gun leaves that store, there's no indication it hadn't passed through five hands in six years. <laughs> so there, nobody knows where it went after that. It's not followed after that. It could potentially be traced back to that purchase, but it wouldn't mean it wouldn't mean much because it's not registered. The only thing that what the retailers have to do, what FFL dealers have to do, is they have to keep those NICS forms, I think, for 20 years. It's a rule. They have to keep them that long. They have to file them for that long. But it's only the background check. It's not a registry of guns in your state where that registration required, is followed by that gun being passed down to another person, to another person, to another person with paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. So the, and the, the resistance again, against paper trails in general it's because we don't want the government following us everything we do when we have a Second Amendment that says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And it, re- it, it refers to individuals. Anybody can call it what they want to. The Bill of Rights is all addressed to an individual. So if 
I, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I might not object to that some really hardline gun owners might. <laughs> And it would, it would, it would, it, we, we spent a lot of time fighting over things, even though we're all on the same team, which is not unusual with any subject right now. But I don't want, in other words, I'm a law-abiding gun owner. And I did pass a gun down to my daughter. I gave uh, my daughter a handgun for her 22nd birthday. But she'd been shooting with me since she was 12 years old. She's like a gazelle on a gun range. She was, she's really good. And so for her 22nd birthday, I gave her a a handgun, ammo and bags and all that stuff. Gave her the, gave her the, she was still living at home at that time. She's married and moved out now, but she was, she had the, she had the combination of the gun safe. She could handle anything there. I don't want a paper trail that the government can follow through me giving my daughter a handgun. And if she wants to pass it on to her daughter, or give it to her husband. Or what, I don't want a paper trail that the government can follow. That's the, one of the biggest resistances that there is. Well, there's just a fundamental mistrust of government. We look around us right now, we see a good reason. <laughs> if you read, we could go off into a whole different subject doing that. But <laughs> you have a hard time keeping a straight face on the spot. <laughs> Do what? I don't want to put you on the No, you put, put me on the spot, it's no problem. That's, that's okay. I mean, we, we, there's a fundamental mistrust of government. And because government's going to change hands, we know that in, that in, that in one segment of government, there will be every there will be every effort to disarm us. We had in in the in the recent primaries, people standing on stages going, "Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15s. Yes, we're going to take your AK-47s." People up there saying, "We're going to come get those guns. We're going to buy those guns back." No, they're not going to buy them back. They're going to confiscate. Them. That's what confiscation is, and we have no reason to trust a government that may at any time shift hands. <laughs> it, it shifts hands back and forth. In, in my lifetime, I think I've only seen, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying, I, I can't even remember a time where I've seen a president and both houses of Congress in power when an election took place that two years later, at least one house of Congress did not change hands. That shifting tide can be one minute where we're safe doing what we're doing and we're okay and we don't have people that can reach in and grab what we own and take away rights we have. And the next minute, we could have a horde of government officials coming door to door now and confiscating what we have and what we're, we should be free to own. So mistrust of government is right up there at the top of the heap. And again, I don't see that changing either. I just know it's always, it, it's quite the debate with people. And so... You know, I want this to educate people, and I have you here because you're the expert in this, especially in the state of Arkansas. There is a Second Amendment that protects the rest of everything in the Constitution. It protects us against a government that would become oppressive. From, this was from people who had come out of, out from under, a, an oppressive government and had bought their freedom with many lives. And when they said the the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That applied to individuals. The whole Bill of Rights applies to individuals. And guns are what they are. That's the reason that the Second Amendment was written. And those guns in the hands of the right people protect everything else that we have and do as Americans. So we don't need to apologize for guns, but we need to acknowledge what they are. And within what they are, which is something that is a deadly machine, 
a deadly machine designed to destroy and kill. We need to apply, make sure we're applying every safety rule available and implementing that with everybody who touches a gun 100% of the time. And from there, we go on to talk more about gun culture and responsibility, but it starts with acknowledging what they are and being as responsible as possible with those in, in applying the safety rules that we all know. Well, federal law, federal laws, of course, are, are implemented by Congress. You know, the, the Senate and the House of Representatives and the President, things that are signed into law, they, and they, when, when they pass a law concerning firearms, it's sweeping. It goes across the United States. can't be overridden by states unless the state just rebels and tries to secede or something. You know, under, under normal circumstances, it can't be overridden. <clears throat> the, most, the most dramatic example of that was back during the, the Clinton administration, and it's still the one most talked about when a... When, when there were what, what they called assault weapons bans, which, were, which covered a long range of, of firearms, and the notorious magazine bans, anything over 10 rounds got, it, it could no longer be, they could no longer be manufactured, and it, they could no longer be sold. Now, there were, of course, millions of Americans that already had 20 and 30 round magazines. They didn't have to get rid of them, but no more of them could be manufactured, and no more of them could be sold. And that 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 law ended, it expired during the Bush administration, it never was reinstated. But that was one of the notorious bans that no matter what anybody did, that was a sweeping ban that covered the entire nation over a few issues, but it, they were big issues and no state could override those. On the other hand, for outside of federal law and anything that's been implemented federally, States, all states can implement their own regulations and laws concerning handguns, ammunition, rifles, shotguns, whatever. They can, they can adjust the ages that people can purchase handguns. All those things can be adjusted and can be controlled by every state, including who can own one, whether you have to be licensed to own one, whether you have to be licensed to, to conceal carry, whether you conceal, conceal carry without, all decided by states. And in some states, like California, it's not just the state that decides, it's the localities, which is horrendous for gun owners. It's, and in New York, the same thing, because state law may say one thing, but give a county sheriff authority to override that and make a decision based on what he thinks about whatever situation somebody's in that wants a handgun or a rifle or anything. So it, it's a confusing monster. It can become a confusing monster. So any state, though, state can implement its own laws apart from federal law to apply to that state only. In states like this where you can sell guns, people can come from across state lines and buy handguns, but they can't come from across state lines and go to a retailer and buy a handgun from a federal licensed dealer. Now, it sounds bizarre. No, what? Repeat that. They can't. Okay, here's a retailer over here. I've got my hands on <laughs> Here's a retailer over here, and here's an individual. A person can come from Oklahoma into Arkansas and come over here to this retailer that's an FFL dealer. They cannot go in there and buy a handgun because they can't cross state lines and buy a handgun from an FFL dealer. But they can go to this individual's house, and they can buy one. I know, it's, I know that's, that's somewhat bizarre, but that's just the reality of it. What... Next follows what the federal background checks. It follows everything through FFL dealers. And then, of course, you got to keep in mind, there are a lot of states that have different laws that regulate that to some degree. Some of them don't allow it at all. Some of them allow, you got to have a, you got to have a license to have a handgun in your possession. It may take you a year to get that. There, there are all kinds of, of 
state laws and state regulations, but you got, what you got to really be careful of, if you do a lot of traveling, you got to be careful driving from state to state because you can break laws easily in some states where the next one you... Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, we may come back to that, but what is, what is the difference between owning a gun and do you have to have a license to own a gun and is that the background check versus conceal and carry? Do you have to have, I'm, I'm sorry, I, okay, I'm not like, sure. Like you can have a, if you purchase a gun, you can have that gun in your home, but you have to have a concealed and carry to carry it on your person or in your vehicle? That's according to what state you live in. Again, I mean, okay. we're in Arkansas. I know people are going to see this from other states and so forth, right. so I'm trying to keep it out as broadly as I can. In Arkansas, now, you actually do not have to have a even a concealed carry license to carry a gun. There are still advantages, and some will say there's some disadvantages to getting a concealed carry license. You can still get them. There's still value in them. Some will argue that about what, what that requires you to agree to. But in Arkansas, now because of language that was changed in the concealed carry laws and the laws in general, I don't know how many years ago it was now, it's been about nine or 10 years ago that the language was changed about, about the laws about carrying weapons, including guns. They added some language to it that said it was unlawful to carry a weapon with the intent to do harm to another person. Since they changed that language, it meant you could carry a weapon as long as you're not intending to do anything to anybody with it. That's been tested in court now for a while. It was iffy. People were wondering, what, what can we really do here? Now it's been tested in court and statewide, people carry guns all over the place, even out on their belts and they carry them openly. People still go get concealed carry licenses. There are still, and again, I'm giving you Arkansas here, there are still prohibited places where you cannot carry a handgun. But you can get an enhanced concealed carry license in Arkansas and if you get an enhanced concealed carry license in Arkansas, most of those places that are prohibited, you can actually carry a gun into once you get the enhanced concealed carry license. <laughs> now, you don't, have to have a, you don't have to have the license to carry the gun anymore, but if you get that one, you can actually carry the gun into more places, including on college campuses and buildings and, 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 and community colleges, public buildings, the state capitol, places that serve alcohol, all those type of places, churches without permission several other places, about a dozen places that you cannot carry a gun without that enhanced concealed carry license. Even if you have a standard concealed carry license, you can't do it. But with the enhanced one, you can. Unless those entities have one of those gun signs that got a little mark through them, they can still stop you from coming in with them. But that's what that, that if that's not confusing enough, <laughs> the reality is right now, if you live in Arkansas, you're not going to be driving out in a bunch of state. You can carry a gun all over Arkansas without any license at all provided you don't carry it in some place that it's prohibited in general. Do you have a gun on you right now? No, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. I left it outside. I don't want to make you mad. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I know that's all confusing, but it's, it's the reality of what people have to figure out when they're trying to, what, what do I do here? You know, and it's, it's, I, I couldn't have given you that clear an answer up till about a couple of years ago when I read through all the law and read through the court case where it was clarified that the police were not going to disarm people because of the language that had changed in that law that said it's prohibited if you are carrying it with the intent to. Now, what police can do if they stop somebody and they're doing something violent and they got a weapon on them, they can use that and say, yes, we suspect that he's going to use that to hurt somebody, and they can use that to remove them from the scene. But 
as the law is written, you can carry a gun anywhere in Arkansas without, unless you have some reason that would keep you personally from, from owning it. So when we talk about being responsible, you're a gun owner and you need to be responsible with it. Do you think that responsibility lies on the on an individual basis to regulate your mental status, to assess if you're if you're capable of owning one, or I can kind of see some persuasion of some sort of government regulation. <clears throat> I, I kind of see both sides of the coin here, and I know the Second Amendment, you have the right to, to bear arms, but I don't think everyone should bear arms. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so what are the solutions to the, the controversy our nation faces in this? Solutions to the controversy? Mm-hmm. There's not one. I, I wish I had a different answer to that. There's not one because we don't, you you can go so far with the discussion that you begin to talk about security over freedom, and when that happens, security is generally going to lose. Well, of course, we're living in a world now where I'm not really sure about how long that's going to last, but at this point, so far, security security is going to lose because the 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 entire from the entire founding of this country, it's been based on people giving up some of the most profound things in life to secure freedom and liberty. And so there has to be reasonable security to keep people that are, are proven to be violent, proven to be mentally ill, proven to be felons, criminals, from possessing firearms. And those need to be enforced, and they need to be enforced strictly, which too often they're not by states. On the other hand, when you try to go too far with that, you go reaching over into say, well, couldn't we do this and couldn't we do this? How far do we go before liberty is just cut off? And that's where the that's where the controversy really lies. Is there's not trust on either side of the issue, because we know over here on the pro-gun side that the anti-gun side over here is going to reach for everything they can get if the law is passed. If 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 two words in that law are a little bit are a little bit unclear. They'll use it to grab everything that they can grab from that, from people who are lawfully owning guns. On this side over here, we got people that say, "Oh, they need to leave us alone. We all need to be able to own machine guns." It can, it can go, it can go wild on both sides. But there's no trust. There's no trust. There's no trust at the extremes. There's no trust in the mainstream of both of these groups of people. And then you got Middle America over here is trying not to think about it every day. They, they're forced to, when they see something happen. What I've emphasized over the years to gun owners is we have some rights. I want the rights, but also have to recognize the responsibility about what I do and how it's going to affect all these people over here if I exercise this right and it hurts somebody over here. Know when to, know when to, to show responsibility, even though you're glad to have the right to do something, doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. 67% of gun, own, gun owners say that they own a gun for protection. That's, that's their number one reason. And then you can break that down further, and then you have 38% who are hunters and 3 to 10% who enjoy sport shooting. Northeasterners likely to own guns. 16% say they own a gun. 
in the South, 36%, Midwest, 32%, West, 31%. So Northeastern is probably, well, everything else is kind of equal except Northeast. And why do you, why do you think that is? And, and there's I mean, also I mean, why do why do I know why do I think it is in the northeast mm -hmm. least likely and and there's also some things where well this may clarify it rural rural areas forty forty six percent are gun owners suburbs are gun owners mm -hmm. suburbs twenty eight percent are gun owners and urban nineteen percent are gun owners so it almost is is maybe that has to do with hunting. Um, it, it has to do with access and use too. I mean, mm -hmm. you, people in in heavily in heavily in heavy, in city areas, heavily heavily populated areas in cities, don't have the opportunity to get out and actually use them, right. shoot them. People in in rural areas, <laughs> like we've got all over the place here, can step out in their backyard and shoot a turkey. So there's that has to do with use. As far as the areas of the United States that have the percentages of in the Northeast, I'm I'm sorry, I'm clueless about that. Mm -hmm. I really don't know what what that is or why that is. Well, in two-thirds of the current gun owners, 67% had guns in their household growing up. So it's almost like you're, you're either acclimated to from what was in your, yeah. what you were accustomed to growing up, yeah. you're acclimated to either be pro-gun or, or against yeah. gun. And that, that's true. I mean, people mm -hmm. that I know, and you you look at states that have a high percentage of firearms, like we do, Oklahoma, Missouri, all of them around this region, this, the, the, several states here. You got large rural areas. People grew up with guns. They grew up hunting. Me, there were no guns in my household. <laughs> that somehow that came about when I when I when I was about 21, 22. I took an interest in shooting, you know, handguns. It was the days of Dirty Harry, and I wanted a Magnum and a. But so I got some revolvers and I started reloading and I shot for a few years and I had a gun or two, always had a gun or two, you know, up till about 2004 when I decided I would really start shooting and so forth. And, and, but I, I didn't have any in my house, though that statement is accurate from my experience. I know people that, that I talk to often. Or I know a lot of people that shoot now and I've shot with lots of people over the area. They've grown up like they were born with one in their hand. You know? They don't think anything of it. <laughs> yeah, they don't think anything of it. It's, it's, it's just, a, just part of everyday life. Mm -hmm. You know, the, we, we talk about the statistics and all of the things that are going on and, and all these rural areas and what, who's responsible and so forth. Most of us that shoot and do it a lot, and we are people who really want to, ex I want to exercise responsibility. I can't tell you I never make a mistake because I'm human. I want to exercise the greatest responsibility possible when I'm in possession of a gun and I'm, I'm shooting, or even when I'm not, if I'm just presenting guns to somebody some way and showing them how to do something. I want that responsibility to be really emphasized as to safety and what you've got in your hand and how you handle that and how you regard it when you talk to other people about it. I guess in, you know, we all have acquaintances, we have, we have, we have, friends, and then we have close friends. <laughs> and in my circle of acquaintances, I probably know personally 200 people that shoot. They have guns. That doesn't mean they shoot like I do all the time, but they shoot some throughout the year. They shoot regularly. I have some friends that I've shot with quite a bit over the years. We, we meet on the range. We don't run around together all the time, but sometimes we get on the range. 
they shoot. They, they own multiple guns. Then I have close friends. We get together and we shoot, we talk guns. We, we came up doing the things we've done for the last 15 years, running a, a group that for four and a half years where we had all kinds of shooters together. We taught people from six-year-olds to 80-year-olds how to shoot guns. We had all men, women, all levels of shooting. None of those people have ever hurt anybody. None of them. For all that, in all that 200 I'm talking about, about 200 there. Sorry, I just hit the microphone for him. <laughs> for, for all those people there, no, none of them have ever hurt anybody. None of them want to. They're all responsible gun owners. They're safe gun owners. In the four and a half years, we had a group that we, that we shot and, and brought people from all over the area into that were able to join us and shoot. I started out doing it. by I was leading the group, but I... I had some experienced people with me that were experienced in range safety. So they took care of range safety. We had a full set of range rules. We had a full set. We had an addendum to the range rules for kids on the range. We had all kinds of stuff. We ran a hot and cold range and where people were, you know, 15 people at once might be shooting all, all different guns. At four and a half years, no accidents, no feedback, no, no negative feedback, no injuries because I had people that were responsible. They knew how to do it. I knew how to lead a group, but I didn't know how to be a range safety officer. I knew how to shoot, but I learned from the two guys that helped me for two years. In the last two and a half years of that group, I was a range safety official. All that time, all those people, none of them ever hurt anybody. They never got hurt themselves. They don't want to hurt anybody. They're responsible gun owners. And that's 200 people I know. If you multiply me by all the other people that know 100 or 200, most people across the United States are responsible gun owners that own them. And then there's just the few. And that's what hits the headlines, and that's where everything comes from, where we have controversy. Yes. Well, and I, you know, it, to... I know it's quite we're a talking, lecture. <laughs> no, sorry. no, I mean, I'm sorry. We're, we're talking, it's almost as if the, the title of this, Responsible Gun Culture, but it's almost as if having guns is one culture and not having guns is a complete another culture. And that culture does not understand a, a culture where people want to own guns and that they understand how to handle them responsibly and they take that very seriously. So if we were trying to educate on all the positive sides of being responsible and being a, a gun owner, what are... You know, you're very big into training and, and going out on the, the shooting range. Is there any merit to encouraging or advocating for training once you get that gun? If we don't do that, that's, we're, in, we're in trouble. But, but that's not, I mean, that's not regulated, right? No, that's not regulated. I mean, you, you, uh, can, except, you can well, get a gun and then never be tested under stress or duress or anything else with how you're going to use that gun. It's, it's a good time to bring that up because what we have right now from just the last six months, we've, had a, we've got a three-layered threat. We've, got, we've had COVID and the panic that took place there. <laughs> when people start running out and, and toilet paper dis disappears bizarrely, with, that has nothing to do, and there's all of a sudden the suggestion that people are going to be coming into your homes to take your groceries, people start running out and getting ammo and guns for the first time ever. People that didn't want, had never wanted a gun before are going out and getting them. Ammo starts disappearing. And then people who own it go out and get more. Then we have protests that turn to riots. 
and to turn to violence for violence sake all across the United States, there's another layer and more stuff starts disappearing. More people run out, they get more guns and they get more ammo. Now we've got an election that's a severe threat, <laughs> according to how it turns out. To gun, that's that's three levels. I've I've lived through several of these shortages and these type of things. I've never seen anything like this. But what so, we've got from this last six months is we've got untold millions of first-time gun owners in America that have gone out and gotten a gun out of fear. They're afraid for their life. They're afraid for their home. They're afraid for their family. They're going out and they're getting guns and they can't get ammo to practice with them. Eventually, ammo is going to show up, and there's going to be millions of people all over America right now that have gotten guns. They may have gotten a box or two. They may have tried it out a little bit, but they're carrying guns around with them right now that they haven't done anything with, and that's millions of people. We, we've got a that's, – that's something that even for somebody who's an, an advocate of the Second Amendment and shooting like I am is very concerning because I see all the time when, when new shooters – when I'm helping new shooters, I can take a new shooter and in 30 minutes – get them confidently on target from about 20 feet hitting what we call critical mass in a defensive shot. But if somebody's not there to show them that, which a lot of them there's not, they just get the gun. I know people right now that have gotten a concealed carry license two or three years ago and, and qualified with a 22 and they're carrying a revolver around that big, they've never shot them. They've, they've shot them one time and they've been carrying them that long. And they'd be, they'd be doing well to hit that wall with it over there if they pulled it out. Multiply that by the millions that have grabbed guns in the last six months. And we've got a serious situation out here of people that really do need to get somebody, get out on range, get some ammo, and get somebody helping them. So is it important? It's critical that people are told, get some training with that gun. Get somebody to take it. That doesn't mean you have to go take a four-day class in another state somewhere. Go get an experienced shooter to show you how to handle that gun, how to handle it safely, how to get on target, not from 30 yards, but from over here where you might have to shoot if you need it and tell them how to practice at home with no ammo, getting the gun in and out, in and out, in and out, handling the gun till it becomes second nature. That's critical that people learn how to do that and learn to do it as soon as they get the gun. When you train someone, run me through, first of all, how long does your training last? How long does what? How long does your training last? I don't have training classes. I work with individuals and I work with groups on, on ranges. I don't okay. have training classes. I've Going into this year, being semi-retired, I did better than calling itself unemployed, but I'm <laughs> semi-retired. I had some plans to start doing paid range sessions and doing some other things online, and I've done a couple, but everything kind of died on the vine when the COVID black rain hit. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually starting to put that back in place now. I'm, I'm going to be starting ramping that back up, but you'll see that on social media. Mm -hmm. But I mean, recently I did a paid range session session with a with a lady. I had talked to her husband, and he he was hesitant to try to help her. And which I don't I don't know if we all get off in this other subject or not here, but it's let me let me jump off just for a second here, and then I'll I'll talk to you about this. Let me talk to men for just a minute that have a wife or a girlfriend or daughter is not to assume what they can or cannot do for them with a gun. I can't tell you how many times I've worked for a large retailer here for about four years and I was in a team lead position with manager responsibilities which put me authorizing and completing firearms and working with people with firearms and telling them what to get and how to get it and how to use it in a holster. And I can't tell you how many times I'd stand at a gun bar with a man standing there with his wife 
telling everybody at the gun bar what she needed while she stood there and did this and never said a word. And he had never seen her shoot the gun. I'll try to stay calm while I talk about this because <laughs> this is a big one. I've written stuff on this. I've done videos on it. I did a, but I did back to this, what I was talking about. I, I did a paid range session with a, a, a lady that her husband, had, I talked to her husband two or three times. Never, I didn't meet her, but I talked to her husband two or three times. He told me what she would be able to do and not do, which looked pretty grim from what he told me. She wouldn't be able to handle the gun. She wouldn't be. He had given her, she had never pulled the trigger on a live round. She'd never, she'd never shot before. He wants to learn how to shoot, but he didn't want to do it. So he had given her a 40-year-old full-size 357 Magnum revolver to be her gun. That's, <laughs> well, I, that's, you can tell by what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't even get out what that is. He said, you know, she's little, her hands are too, her hands are too weak to handle a semi-automatic. She'd, she'd freak out if she handled something, all kinds of things that just weren't going to work for her. She needed this revolver. And he said, I want you to train her, though. So I was working it out with him over the phone. And he would tell me, well, she needs to shoot out at 25 yards, no closer. I, said, I finally stopped him, and I said, look, if you want me to train her, I'll do it, but you'll have to let me do it. So we finally agreed to it. When I said that, he said, okay. So she met me at a, at a convenience store, followed me out to a range, and we set up targets. I set up some targets. She brought her gun out. She had 100 rounds of 38 special ammo to shoot through this 357, and I said, I asked her had a couple of questions, first of all, because he had told me she's going to melt. She's going she's gonna to come apart here. I asked her a couple of questions. I said, does this bother you what you're about to do? And she looked at me and she said, no. Now, she probably weighed 95 pounds, hands about that long. <laughs> I'm looking at this gun, and I'm going, okay. Well, I said, I'll tell you what let's do. And I put two rounds in it. I, brought it, I said, aim at the side of that hill right over here and just shoot the hill. She said, what do you want me to aim at? I said, nothing, just shoot the hill. She shot it twice. She I showed her how to grip it and just basic stance stuff. She got up there, shot it twice. There was no response from her, no reaction. She put it back. She's like, now what? I said, are you okay with that? Yeah. She got on that gun, and within 20 minutes, I started her up that far from the target because it, people don't realize how fast. You, you show somebody, then get on target even this close, it does something mentally that just really gets them enthusiastic. She shot right there. We made one little adjustment to the site. She backed up to about three steps. She backed up to about 15 feet. She backed up to about 21 feet. That was about 20 minutes in, and she was hitting a target that she would have passed her concealed carry license for with somebody who was supposed to melt and wasn't going to be able to hold the gun, was going to throw it down. All these things were going to happen, but she had never fired before. In a few minutes, I had her over. I put her on, let her shoot some steel. Shot it from 21 feet. Hit six out of six on a steel silhouette. She backed off a little ways. And I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to back up here. I said, you just shoot from wherever you want to. Before she was done, she was backing up. And the last thing she shot, she shot a cylinder full of ammo from that, from that gun. She shot six out of six on a silhouette at 50 feet. And this was somebody whose husband thought she was going to just melt under the gun even firing one time. Was her training critical? You bet it was. Somebody needed to show her how to use that gun. By the time it was over with, she wanted to, she wanted to get her concealed carry license and wants to join a local gun club. As far as he was concerned, he wasn't going to train her. He was going to hand her off to somebody else, get, her, get them to do it, and hand her a revolver that looks absurd. 
because those guns are, she shot it in double action mode too, which is a long, heavy trigger pull that's the hardest thing in the world to control. And she controlled it through that whole range session, small as she was and small as her hands were. So, so assuming you can, something. So you, can, so you can purchase a gun and not have any class on the safety, mm-hmm. gun safety or training. Right. Now, not in every state. Okay. In a lot of them, though. <laughs> in a lot of them. In a lot of them, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think, I think, let me just, in mentioning off states, you got California, Illinois, Massachusetts, New York, a few others that you have to have some, a, a basic training class before you, you can apply for a license to own a gun in those states, which the gun laws are very prohibitive in those states, so they lock it down pretty tight. But in most places, you can go in and, and buy a gun without any kind of, any kind of training. Well, and it sounds like, unfortunately, if you live in one of those states where you're not allowed to have a gun and you go to a show and buy it from a private individual and take it across the line illegally, mm-hmm. it sounds like that you're in a disadvantage because you cannot, you won't get training for that gun in the state because you're not supposed to have it. And that's, I mean, that's dangerous or it sounds dangerous to me. There, there's never going to be a time, there's never going to be a time where we keep liberty and have perfect safety with guns. That's mm-hmm. all there is to it. Mm-hmm. What you hope that people seeing a podcast like this will know once they get done is if I get a gun, I got to go do something with it and I got to train with it. I need, I need some training doesn't, I mean, there's, there's tons of great training. You, you can go on YouTube now to get some of the best training in the world that you can set up and do yourself out in a little piece of land somewhere with a hill behind it. You don't have to go off somewhere and take days and days or weeks and weeks or months and months of training. You can take sustainable training that you can get right on YouTube and go practice yourself. Getting a, an experienced shooter to help you, and that's what I did when I first started shooting. When I really started picking up handguns, I had a friend of mine go with me. I had a Glock 21, which is, was at that time was Glock's biggest frame handgun. I could hit the side of Walmart with it at 10 yards. Not that I tried, but I, I, <laughs> that's how bad it was. <laughs> but... but I had him, we went out shooting together a little bit, and I kept missing milk jugs just right over here. But I, I just I said, watch me. Watch, what am I doing here? And he'd see a couple of things. He'd get behind me, he'd get over here, and he'd watch and watch, and I'd get closer and closer. And I finally got to where I could hit the milk jug. And today I can hit milk jugs. So you progress as you go. But having somebody just come along with you and watch you, show you how to use I knew how to hold the gun. I knew, I knew gun safety. I couldn't hit anything with it. With most people... You got people going out getting their first time handgun owners right now. A lot of them don't know what they're doing with the guns. And there have been there are lots of those people that have never wanted guns before. But they're out there now, they've got them, they're new, and ammo is short. In fact, it's almost non existent at this point. So it's an opportune time to talk about this. And if anybody, you know, seeing a podcast like this gets anything from it, the controversies are there. The fights between these two groups are there and are going to remain. The balance between liberty and safety and, and, and liberty and safety is there. It's, it's going to be there. What you hope is that people that got that gun will see something like this or somebody will show it to them or somebody will see this and go to them and say, let's get that gun you got and let's go out and show you how to use it and get you on target and get you going to where you can set this up and do it yourself. And it doesn't take just a huge amount of stuff to do it with. 
You can do it with a very little bit of ammo. You can do a little bit of practice and do it with just dry fire around your house in a safe direction and a safe place. It's remarkable what people can do in just a very short time. Give us five things you think are most important to be a responsible gun owner. How long do I have? (laughs) I think I've listed them all. (laughs) Well, if... Recap or come up with. As far as as far as are, are you talking about from the perspective of just me having a gun and keeping it with me and having it with me and shooting it and using it the way I mean to use it for self defense? Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about something further than that? Even further, even considering purchasing a gun. From, from the consider of of a purchase to owning it, what are five of the most important things? When you purchase, if, you, if you're not an experienced gun owner already, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you purchase, purchase with the intent of immediately training with the gun. You have to get, even in times right now where you can't get ammo, you can learn how to handle a gun. You can learn how to pick it up. You can learn how to dry fire it. You can pull the trigger. You can handle it. You can manipulate it. You can have it second. You can have it, even if you can't get ammo for a month, it can be second nature how to handle that gun by the time you put the ammo in. So get the gun. When you go to get the gun, if you're not an experienced gun owner, get it with the intent of training. Once you get it, never, ever, ever. I've told people before, when, when it comes to training in, in technique and, and skill and so forth, anytime somebody says every time or always, it should be a mental check mark to see when it doesn't mean any time or always, because there's a lot of different things that people have to consider. Eyesight, hands, physical debilitation, stuff like that, that may not fit everybody. But the bottom line is when you get that gun, resolve to practice safety with it 100% where you never ever anytime at all ever violate those critical safety rules once you learn how to shoot that gun if you're going to carry it do something besides stand and shoot at paper with it learn to move and shoot learn how to turn and shoot learn how to get in a different position and shoot learn how to handle that gun adequately as you shoot how many is that? Two. Huh? Two. I thought that was three. <laughs> I'll let you slide. That can be three. Okay. Well, hey, I have a question. Okay. We're talking about um, gun safety. If you have young children in the home, what do you do with your guns? You make them inaccessible to children. And I, that that's different for everybody according to the age of their children. They're biometric safe now to where your your fingers, where you can, like, it's they, they're heavy, they lock down, they're box size, a gun will go in them. You can, you know, you can take them out and drop them off the First National Bank building and they won't break open. They're biometric, they're fingertip operated, and you can punch in a code with your fingers, just putting your fingers on it, memorize that, and it'll pop right up and you can get the gun out if you need it. Aside from when you need your gun accessible, like if that's what you keep on a nightstand, it's right there with you and... You have to keep any child from being able to come in and access that gun wherever it is. Uh, and that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But there's, there's generally a balance of a way to make sure your guns are accessible in your home while still keeping your children away from them. Whatever that means, whether, how, whether it's a three-year-old that you can keep it up high in a closet and still get to it, or whether you keep it in a biometric safe, or to where when you're not in the house you keep it in a locked gun safe where they can't get it. It means a lot of different things to different people. But do it. And, and that's part of gun mm-hmm. safety. Gun safety is critical insofar as handling the gun, but everything, it's all-encompassing gun safety, and that includes guarding your children. 
once you do those things that I just mentioned there, you've, what you've done is you've got, bought the gun with the intent of training. You've gone out and you've, you've at least learned how to handle the gun. Then the reason I said it's number three, number three is training to move and shoot and do something because if you're going to carry that gun, it can still be dangerous if all you've done is just stand and shoot paper because you don't know what's coming at you, where it's going to be, whether it's going to be an even ground, whether you're going to be in a parking lot, whether there's going to be obstacles. Learn to shoot around things and move and shoot and do train that way. From that point on, it's go to the next person and say, hey, you just bought a gun, come on over here and let me train you how to do that and show them how to do it. Those are all broad, and I think I just got four, but that really pretty well covers everything that's going to, if, if you take all the factors in all of those, it covers basically everything that's really important about being a responsible gun owner. It's doing it the right way yourself till you get to the point where you've trained and know you, you've developed the skills that you need to be able to move and shoot and do all those things responsibly, and you're practicing gun safety, and then you go to that next person and you pass it on to make sure the next one gets, that, that gets trained, and that's critical in all those things and very important, particularly now. And you gave the example of the, the husband and wife and possibly, in your opinion, he purchased the wrong gun for her. He gave her a 40-year-old revolver. He, he had had it all along. He was, he was under the impression he loves his wife. He, mm -hmm. There's nothing, nothing negative about her. He just right. didn't think this would work out for her. Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to right. do it. But, but is there is there importance to having the right gun for the right person? Oh, absolutely. And that the question I get very often, people contact me from all over the place through my website. And, but the question I get, so what's, what's the best gun for women? There's no way for me to answer that. What's the best gun for me? I'm so-and-so. I live over in so-and-so. What's the best gun for me? I don't know. I've never seen you shoot. I can't responsibly answer that. But you'd be surprised how many people, even behind gun counters, will answer that question, even though they don't know anything about them. What's the best gun for women? Well, let me show you the best gun for women over here. There's so many handguns out there now and some from so many different brands, so many different manufacturers that shoot so many different ways and shoot so many different rounds. The only way you can do it if, outside of shooting them is going into a gun store, having a woman or anybody put that gun in their hand, feel the gun, ask them if you can pull the trigger on it. You know, if they say no dry firing, put the gun down and go buy it somewhere else. You've got to be able to pull the trigger on a gun. Feel it out. Look for the reputation of that gun online. You can find reviews everywhere. You don't... Okay, so in closing, how would we soften people's views on guns? Uh, that, that they can be safe, but there's precautions and there's measures that needs to be taken to do or so. When you say soften people's views on guns, are you talking about soften people's views who are against guns? Yes. Or soften people's who are wanting to get a gun but are afraid of them, which... Probably both. <laughs> I don't know how to soften the views of people that are against guns. I, I can tell you, I can give you quite a bit of information on how to soften it because I work with people and guns, but I've been fighting this battle for 15... I've been, I've been directly involved in the battle for the last 15 years. I haven't, I haven't done anything to soften the battle. I've been too busy fighting back what we could lose constantly, so I don't know how to do that. I wish I had a magic answer to that, but so far nobody's come up with one. As far as people going out to, to get their first gun, there is, again, there's all kinds of good training that you can find. There's, there's thousands of videos on YouTube by 
I'm going to just recommend a few here yes, just so people do. can go out and get some of the mm-hmm. best. The first one I'd, I'd recommend is John Lovell. He's, he's one of the ones that you can have your kids around while he's talking. The rest of them, you might want to watch it as an adult because the language on them is deplorable sometimes. It's too bad because the training's so good. But you've got people like John Lovell. You've got Pat McNamara. You've got a, a there's a panel called Carry Trainer where they show hours of their serious pistol classes for adults, serious pistol classes that you can get on there and you can set up on any range and, and build your pistol skills. There is Jerry Michalak, who arguably the best shooter that's ever lived. He's not a trainer, but he's a shooter, and he gives lots of instruction and tons of videos that he's got online. And one of the most fun people, he's another one you, your kids can watch when, when he's around. Those type, those type things right there, people can get excellent training, Some of, a lot of it that they can actually sustain. John Lovell, he teaches pistol training and tactics, and, and, and he, goes all, he goes as far as training special forces operators and, and police officers and stuff, but he also trains civilians and he, all the way from basic skills up to serious tactical movements on a gun range, and very, very, very good trainer, one of the most popular in demand there. Pat McNamara, uh, long history in special forces. His classes are... People that take his classes love him. You see the pistol classes, guys running back and forth and moving and shooting. And then he's got he's got some fitness stuff, a whole line of fitness videos that he does stuff. He'll actually he'll pick up dumbbells and stuff and run 50 yards with them on a range, throw a kettlebell up over his heel, grab a gun and shoot. It's shooting under physical stress. Again, Jerry Mitchellack, he'll just incredible stuff, but he'll show people how to simply do the best shooting they can do with, and keep it simple. All those kind of things are just really important for people to be able to get and and see that you can be comfortable with guns you can get good with guns you don't have to be these guys but you can really get good with them getting the gun know that you know thousands and thousands and thousands millions of people before you have gone on and gotten them and carried them all their lives and never had to shoot anybody they've never hurt themselves they're responsible on range you can do the same things it's a matter of getting it understanding the safety rules getting the instruction you need working the gun till it's second nature to you and if you want to get comfortable carrying a gun do what I did I took a Glock 22 when I first started carrying a gun and I was going to put it in an inside the waistband holster I got it ready to fire took the ammunition out of it and carried it for two weeks with no ammo in it <laughs> so I found out that that gun was not going to do anything if I didn't reach in and pull the trigger it's not going to do anything and so I've been carrying them for 15 years inside the waistband holsters and that's been with about 30 different handguns that I've tested and carried besides that one so getting comfortable is just doing it just like anything else is getting it in your hand doing it and and it really is important to have an experienced shooter with you most people know somebody who has experience what they want to make sure of is that that experienced shooter is as good as they need to be to just show them how to do things safely so responsibility is gaining experience yes that's the bottom line. yeah and, and getting comfortable with it mm-hmm. getting comfortable with it is going to be using it. You got to put it in your hand. You got to get it in your hand. You got to get used to it. You got to you got to feel the gun fire and understand that everything a gun and when you fire a gun, when you fire a gun, the recoil is a natural response to the gun. That's what makes it work the way it's supposed to. It's not going to hurt you. We in the group that I mentioned a while ago, we had my daughter was included in that. She shot with me since she was 12 years old. In that group, we used to have 14 and 15-year-old girls going out with us shooting 9mm pistols, 40 caliber pistols, 45s, 357 magnums and handling it just perfectly and on target. 
and we were able to teach them how to do that. They had competent shooters around them showing them how to do it. But it's a matter of getting out, getting on the tar getting on the gun, and shooting. And you can't account for everybody's personality. Some people, I did a video. Of course, I keep telling you I did a video. Mm -hmm. I do a video on everything, but I've done a video on how emotions affect new shooters. And it's dramatic. You can take two people that are essentially the same in size, ability, physical ability, healthy, give them both the same gun. This one over here may shoot it six times with no emotional response, get on target. This one over here may shoot it and come to pieces because of the effect of the recoil. Doesn't hurt, but it's the emotional and mental response to it. So, but it still is a matter of getting it in your hand and doing it and having somebody come alongside of you and getting the training you need. Doing it, though, is what makes you comfortable. If anyone has questions or wants to look at some of your videos, what's your website? <clears throat> Everything that I've got labeled online is the Christian gun owner. Uh, that's what I've been known online as for uh, the last 15 years or so. Uh, the Christian gun owner website, there's a contact form on there. Down at the bottom of the right sidebar, it says contact. Click on that and fill out the form, and they can send me the uh, message there. Also, my YouTube channel is Christian Gun Owner. If you go into okay. YouTube, type in the search bar, Christian Gun Owner channel, mine will come up. All my videos are in there, and I have a Christian Gun Owner Facebook page, too. So, again, you can type that in there. My stuff will come up, and I link to a lot of my videos and articles from that page. Plus, I put some posts on there for that, for that particular group that follows that page. So, any of, those, any of those ones you can comment on, you can send me a uh, message through the contact form on the Christian Gun Owner, which is probably the most efficient. They want to ask me something uh, directly and then they can watch the other stuff by getting there. Sounds great. Thank you for being here. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I like talking about guns, and I enjoyed this. <laughs> great. Thank you. You've been listening to Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner. Thank you for listening today. Rise up, and let's be the best that we can be, and listen to this podcast that will both motivate and educate. Thank you 